This is a CQ University Australia podcast, where we talk to some of the university's interesting characters. Welcome to The Grapevine. Today we're talking with Dr Emma Jackson, who's a researcher at CQ University based in Gladstone. Hi Emma, how are you today? Hi, good, thanks Priscilla. First of all, just tell me what your title is here at CQ Uni. Okay, I'm the cluster leader for the marine and coastal research um, within the environmental sciences group. Really, basically, what does that mean? Um, well, it means that I basically um, help and um, support all the people that are doing marine and coastal research, including myself. Okay. And <laughs> um, we're quite a small team. So, um, and basically try and encourage people to work on things that will um, restore and um, conserve things that are going on in the sea. Awesome. Yeah. So, we're just going to go back in time a little bit. Can you tell us what your family life was like as a child? And we're just trying to find out where your interest was first um, instigated, I guess. Well, I, I grew up in a place called Blackburn in Lancashire in northern England. Um, it's quite a long way from the sea. Um, it took me once about three hours to cycle there. <laughs> so, um, and I actually, as a young child, wanted to be a tree surgeon, like um, going up in the trees and chopping them down and making them healthy and things like that. Um, so I didn't want anything to do with the sea at all. <laughs> um, and then I used to do the whole, like a lot of marine biologists say this, but, you know, go and play in rock pools and things when I was on holiday and that side of things. But still to the point of the end of school, I still wanted to be a tree surgeon. And it was only in the in a trip to actually to Australia when I was um, in my sort of late teens and um, saw some of the amazing marine life over here that I actually got really encouraged to go and do marine biology at university. Okay, so did you did you, you just came for a holiday in your teens? Yeah, just a holiday. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So, um, were you did high school sort of um, change for you a little bit? Did you sort of go off into that sort of science sort of focus? So I, I came back, I'd done, I'd chosen all the wrong courses to be a marine biologist, but I was quite determined that I was going to do it anyway. Um, so I found a university, the University of Stirling, that would allow me to um, do what I wanted to do, marine biology. Um, so in, Stir- in Scotland, they have an extra year and that year allowed me to then sort of catch up on the sort of the chemistry and the other things that I hadn't done um, in my sort of later years at school. Um, so I did all of that and then I got my degree at, um, in marine biology at Stirling University in Scotland. Okay. In the cold waters up yeah. there. Okay. So <laughs> and learned to dive in a very thick wetsuit, <laughs> a oh, very uncomfortable so wetsuit. That's very <laughs> interesting. So it would be a totally different sort of um yeah structure to the sort of program would it be to what we would present here um fairly similar um it was it was a pure marine biology degree um so it was all marine biology right from day one um it was um quite interesting because there was a lot of practical with it as well so you could actually um go out and um do a lot of diving courses and um train up to um use boats and things like that so we we did all of that um and yeah it was it was interesting because it was just a lot colder and (laughs) but some of the marine life up in the scottish waters are just amazing so it really inspired me to carry on we were quite a small group. There was only 12 of us on our course. And out of that 12, only two of us went on to actually be marine biologists, which is interesting. Wow, okay. <laughs> yeah. So what would the others go off and do? Oh, all sorts. Pensions, like um, people working on the land. Um, so, yeah, all sorts of different things uh, that they okay. went to do. I know one person went to be a doctor, so <laughs> a medical doctor. Okay. So, yeah. so um, when did you eventually come to Australia? Um, I moved here in 2013. 
So I did, um, after my degree, I went on to do a, a master's in marine and coastal resources up in the islands of Orkney, which are right on the far north of Scotland. And that was actually where I started to study seagrasses. So my study there was actually doing a, um, a model to actually identify where seagrasses might grow amongst all this like archipelago of islands. Um, after that, I moved down to Plymouth, right at the other end of the UK, and did a PhD with the Department of Agriculture and Fisheries in Jersey in the Channel Islands there, looking at seagrasses as an important habitat for fisheries. Um, and after that, I basically went on to look at um, basically what was affecting. So I, I identified how important seagrass habitats were, and then I went on to actually look at what was actually causing their decline and some of the driving forces that that lent to those declines on a quite a large scale and I sort of got quite not um depressed but like <laughs> it was quite disappointing to like see all these things happening and you know see that there was a massive decline and that these habitats weren't recovering and so I started to really get into the mindset that I wanted to research things that were a little bit more positive and proactive um to do something about it so rather than like oh yeah look this is causing the decline you know what what could we do to actually reverse this trend um, and that's when people sent me, I think about 20 people sent me the same job advert for the job here at CQ University for um, a position looking at um, restoration of seagrasses and a program looking at doing the research to actually see how we could restore and, you know, reverse the trend. So so this is while you're st um, still in the UK? Yes. So, so Okay, so from about 20 different people. <laughs> yeah, 20 different people all sent me the same, same. job advert. I, I had a permanent position there at the um, Marine Biological Association and the University of Plymouth, so two positions. Um, I had a very strange time when I was having my children where I went part-time at two different research institutions and then when I finally went full-time again I sort of just merged them and had a job share with somebody else who also merged her jobs it was very complicated but very a lot of fun and um, so I had these two like permanent positions and then they basically um this job advert landed on my, <laughs> my desk by 20 different people and I thought I better at least apply so yeah so I applied and, and got the job and yeah came over in 2013 January from about I don't know, I think it was about four degrees in the UK. I was going to say. <laughs> and yeah, it was it very been... hot and very wet here. And I thought, what have I done? <laughs> yeah. what, was it what you expected? Um, yes, it was. I think um, a lot of people find it interesting that I moved straight to Gladstone um, as part of Australia. They, they wouldn't have thought that's the sort of place you'd straight away move to. Um, but, you know, Gladstone to me, when I looked at, I did a lot of research and um, looked at, you know, what was going on, knew what was going on here. It's a major port. Um, it's right within the Great Barrier World Heritage Area. But you look at it on Google Earth and you see all these amazing marine habitats that are alongside all the industry. And I thought that's that's just the perfect place to actually look at, you know, how to improve a habitat or, you know, how to work with the industries to make things better or keep things, you know, from declining any further. So, that really encouraged me to actually come to a place like this. Um, but yeah, yeah, I came straight to Gladstone and it was, I think if I did it again, I'd wait till the winter and move here in the winter. <laughs> but that's the only thing I'd do differently. So by this time, you've actually, you've got kids with you. And so how did that whole shift Yeah, I had a, I had a two-year-old and a um, five-year-old at the time. So um, yeah, and a wow. husband who who is luckily quite um he had quite transferable skills. He's a photographer, so he he could move over quite easily. So he had to sell up his business and things. But yeah, we we literally all got on a plane, and flew over here with a, all our stuff in a container, and um, 
yeah, I think because they were young kids, they were still at the age where, you know, they just did what they were told. <laughs> so I think it'd be far harder to move with teenagers, but yeah. So how different was um, your research um, being here than it was back in the UK? Uh, completely different from the start. In the, in the UK, I was doing a lot of um, sort of high-level um, desk-based modelling of what was happening, and I was doing a lot of analysis of what other people had done and then applying it to sort of actually work out on a larger scale what was happening. So I didn't actually get to do all the fun stuff of going out and collecting data and all the field work and everything was done by other people. I just had like spreadsheets of data that I then had to model to actually look at what was causing declines and how things might change. So when I came here, it was straight away, um, you know, going out, actually sort of taking samples, running experiments in our in our laboratories, um, very, very hands-on and actually doing the work and really immediately starting to understand what was happening on happening in the local system, which was really good, being there and seeing it firsthand, yeah. And how does that all work with industry? How, how um, involved um, is industry and um, councils and things involved in your research? How does that work? Um, so, so we had I've had a lot of support um, from um, actually from um, agencies, uh, philanthropic agencies, um, for conservation agencies and things like that. Um, and we worked a lot with the Gladstone Ports Corporation. Um, so we've got a lot of support from them. And then a lot of the other funding that comes from industry in the area has has come through sort of. Um, um, pots of money for community-based projects so we've got done a lot of work with community getting the community involved in some of the seagrass restoration so there's a, a real I, I found it very interesting when I came over here how much more um, public and local support there was for this type of research than there was in the UK um, so that that's been really good um, and and also getting the community involved a lot more has been really interesting because I, I don't think you can have some of these ha things happening unless you have industry engagement and community engagement. Um, you know, you can do all the research you like into how you'd go about restoring seagrasses, but if the momentum and the the um, the will to actually do it isn't there, then it won't happen. So, mm -hmm. so it's been good to sort of bring people along for for the not for the ride, but you know, bring people along as the research has developed. Um, can you explain just? what is the importance of seagrass what's what's their role in the ecosystem yeah so they're they're basically they're, they're an interesting plant because they're one of the only plants i call them the mermaids of the sea because they're one of the only land-based plants that's actually returned to the ocean so they're not like seaweeds they actually are flowering plants they have flowers and they have roots um, a bit like the grasses that you see out on the on the lawns here um now, they do a number of different functions. So they create these massive meadows, um, just like we have like fields and on the land. Um, and those meadows are really important habitats for a really diverse array of marine species that sometimes rival things like rainforests and coral reefs. You know, they're really up there. Um, they're also a really important nursery ground, um, spawning habitat and feeding area for a lot of commercial and recreationally important species of fish and shellfish. Um, and their leaves actually do... 
they move through the water column and they baffle the sort of the water currents and this allows sort of fine sediments to actually start to settle down which then get trapped by the root systems of the seagrasses so they're really important in stopping erosion from trapping fine sediments which might potentially go out and get into the coral sea um, and also in trapping carbon so any particulate carbon that's in the water becomes trapped and helps to offset our carbon footprint so they sequester it sometimes at rates that are greater than sort of tropical rainforests and things like that so um, they also earned the title of the kidneys of the Great Barrier Reef because all the stuff that comes down from our rivers and our catchments you know they they hit the seagrasses and the mangroves and places like that and they filter out a lot of fine sediments nutrients pollutants and things before it gets out into the coral sea so they've got a whole heap of what we call ecosystem services um, that benefit humans in the long term. What are some of the species that actually rely on it for um, food source or yeah well as, as well as like people um mm. some of the things that that actually directly feed on it so it, it, it's a primary producer so just about everything directly depends on it but um the things that directly feed on it are things like dugong and turtle and we've got a good population of those in, in central queensland um so and whenever we're out, we usually see like a green turtle or two, um, if not like 600, <laughs> but um, there's quite a few of them out there. Um, and we often see the odd dugong as well. Um, sometimes we've seen, I think once we saw like a whole herd of about six dugong, um, but also shorebirds. Like if you go out onto the flats when at low water, you see a whole heap of shorebirds either feeding on the seagrass directly or in the animals that are in the mud and actually attached to the leaves. So they're a really important food source for a lot of um, species like that. Okay. Have you got some key partners in your research from the local area or, or beyond? So we, we collaborate through in a number of different ways. I've already mentioned mm -hmm. the community and we've, we've got sort of citizens involved in, because at the moment what we're looking at is um, how we might use seagrass seeds to, to grow seagrass. So a really good way of collecting those seeds is to get the local community involved and they go out and help us collect the flowers of the seagrass, which we then can grow out and actually get the seeds from. We also um, got um, a really good collaboration with the local indigenous sea rangers from the Gadarjal Development Corporation, um, who have a base here in Gladstone. And they come out almost every time we go out onto the seagrass meadows and help us with collecting the plants and learning about the different species and, and how we might go about restoring. Um, we've also worked with the Glasden um, Ports Corporation to look, about, look at how we might create um, nursery areas from, from in stormwater ponds um, and also in the dynamics of some of the sediments because the sediment sedimentation and the sediment movement is really important for where seagrasses can grow and potentially where you might be able to restore seagrasses. Um, and one of the views that I have in the long term is to actually look at how we might create seagrass meadows from what is sometimes thought of as a waste product which is the um the dredged material that they collect when they're dredging the channels out in the port so some of this material is is you know it's just sand and mud um when they're doing the maintenance dredging that could potentially recharge mud flats um create habitat for seagrass and we could actually grow seagrass on it so you know that would really help us to scale up really long long term and on a large scale to help um, combat the losses that seagrasses have seen what do you think um, the big impacts of your research will have into the future? Well, I mentioned before um, some of the services that seagrasses provide, and they're, they're, they're one of these things that people people actually have gain a lot of benefits from but don't quite realise that they're getting those benefits from it. So people have done studies to show that, you know, just about every fish that somebody goes out and catches at some point in their life cycle will have been dependent on seagrasses. 
Um, so it's that. It's also the fact that, you know, um, the, the trapping of carbon, the trapping of the sediments, these are all things that seagrasses do. So what I'd really like to get to this, this um, stage of is having the really trialed and tested methods and doing the research to actually say, this is how you would restore seagrass in this area. So one, when we see losses of seagrass, they, people can actually come along and, and um, restore large areas of seagrass and restore those functions and, and make sure that, you know, things like um, fish habitat and things like that are maintained. It also means that if an industry and coastal development is increasing, they've suddenly got the tools to be able to say, well, okay, we're going to have to um, build here and develop this. There's there's a way that we can do this without actually disrupting local and natural habitats. And we can actually create habitat here or we can actually do it in a way that won't disrupt a seagrass meadow there. Um, so, you know, it's, it's a working with nature approach to actually coastal development. So we can continue to develop the economy, but we're doing it in a way that we're not losing these really important habitats. On um, the big scale of the Great Barrier Reef and, and the research that's been undertaken on that, um, how does your research fit into, I suppose, the big picture? Yeah. How, how does it influence others and how does it all work together? Yeah, so um, seagrasses have found up the entire coastline. Um, and like I said before, they, they do a lot to sort of um, combat um, some of the impacts on the Great Barrier Reef. So... The fact that they're nursery ground for fish that actually um, inhabit the reef means that if people are fishing the reef, if, as long as you're protecting the seagrass beds and you're continually able to sort of resupply some of those fish, it's going to offset some of the problems you've got with overfishing. Um, it, they could trap some of the nutrients and some of the sediments that come down that might negatively impact the the reef itself so actually looking after the seagrass is a bit like look look after the pennies and the pounds or look after themselves so we look after our coastal habitats and that will help protect the reef um and and then the big picture thing you know the fact that they offset some of our carbon footprint and they can you know if we do this on a big scale um and it would have to be a big scale it could start to sort of you know help to prevent global warming and climate change and the things that are affecting some of the bleaching of some of these coral habitats what does your kids think of the research that you do? Do they understand what mum does? Yeah, so I've got I've got one little eco warrior and one that's like really doesn't care that much yet. But um, so he's um, the little one's like, yeah, it's fun and he likes going out and seeing the seagrass and things like that. And the other one is just completely convinced, like he's like, you know, seagrass is the best thing and um, we should go out and protect it all. And um, if he sees people letting balloons go, he gets upset because a turtle might eat one or something like that. So, so yeah, they're they're a bit like um, either or. <laughs> yep. but. Awesome. And um, have you got family still back um, in the UK and? Do they often come to visit and see what you do here? Or? Yeah, so um, most of my family are back in the UK and my husband's French, so his family are back in France. Um, so they, my parents come out, they they love Australia. They've come out like even before we moved here. So mm -hmm. they, they continue to come out every year and see us. So I see a lot of those. Don't get to see my brother as much as I'd like to and his, his young kids, which are the similar age as mine. It'd be nice okay. to see them a little bit more, but trying to encourage them to come over. But it's a lot easier to get people to come and visit you when you're in um, central Queensland than it is to when you're in Plymouth, actually. Okay. So. <laughs> of course. Yeah. Weather might be a little bit better. Yeah. <laughs> um, I've, I've noticed that you've, you've worked a lot with schools in the region and talking about your seagrass. Um, projects and stuff how has that all worked yeah so um 
as well as having the community involved to make things happen, I also feel like one of the biggest risks um, to our natural environment is um, basically apathy and uh, not having the empathy to think, you know, that things should be different. And I think that starts when you're a really young age. So actually letting people know what's out there and showing them in some respects. So we take school kids down on the shore and show them what seagrass is like, what lives in it, you know, why it's important, hopefully see a turtle or two. Um, that that really gives them a sense that that one, they know that it exists and they know why it's important and that helps them to care so that even if they never go into like study marine biology or anything like that, you know, when it crops up, they suddenly think, oh, you know, yeah, we heard about that. That's actually really important. So it's like changing that public view and getting people to just care about things is is one of the massive sort of challenges that any any conservation or anybody that wants to protect the natural environment and and work with it has has to contend with so is this to do with your stem involvement is that so yeah so i am yeah so i'm 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 working with um, Linda Pfeiffer Dr Linda Pfeiffer who runs a stem hub here in in Gladstone um so Really, STEM is obviously a lot of the time seen to be about technology and about mathematics and engineering and things like that, but it's also science. And and so, you know, what I'm trying to do is through schools, show them about the natural sciences and seagrass is a great example of that. They're on their doorstep. They're, they can actually see see how they grow. They can see some of the uses of them. Um, one of the things we've started to do is try to like use gameplay a little bit to get some of the messages across and also artwork. So we had a project for the World Science Festival um, last year where we actually got a local artist to develop some um, alumin- aluminium sculptures of the different seagrass seagrasses that we have and those aluminium sculptures they don't just look like seagrasses but they're actually each of the different species has the features on it that allow you to identify that species but then they also have little things on them that just help you to tell stories about the ecology of those species so for example one of the leaves has a little bite mark out of it so you can say oh what what bit into this and talk about that there's one that has a little bivalve on a little sort of clamshell on the roots and that clamshell is actually really important um, in terms of a symbiotic relationship with the plant to keep it healthy so you can talk about that um, the other thing we have is a game called seagrass versus zombies <laughs> which is um, if anyone's heard of the game plant versus zombies um, it's a it's a computer game that my kids love a lot of people's kids love um, where you have different plant species and you have to plant them in different places and then you get hit by zombies so what we have is the different five different species of seagrass and we teach them about their kids the school kids about the ecology of the seagrasses which helps them to learn where they can plant them on the board and then we hit them with our zombies which are the, all the different pressures that seagrasses have to cope with so whether that's being buried by sediment not getting enough light through the water column too many nutrients or actually having reclaimed land built over the top of them they run along and they see how many of their seagrasses can survive based on where they've planted them and that's been incredibly successful from kids as young as five up to like adults as old as like 17 playing that game and really helping them to learn about not just the ecology of the seagrasses but the restoration and some of the pressures that the seagrasses face one of the questions we like to ask um, our podcast guests is, is there anything unusual about Emma that we should know? Is there some quirky habits, hobbies? Um, is there something um, that we might not expect that you do when you're outside of work? Hmm. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm, a, I'm a really... I love sailing. So I used to be a sailing instructor when I was younger and sort of that shifted to marine biology. Um so I love sailing and I've, I've just bought an old wooden like sailboat that mm-hmm. 
it's just so out of place in Gladstone because it's all motorboats everywhere. So <laughs> you go out on this on the the lake, the local lake, and this old wooden sailing boat, and people just like look at you as if you're very strange. Oh, awesome. But but yeah, no, I, I love doing that, and um, I've started sailing on the sea around here sometimes now, and um, go and check out some of the seagrass beds in my little wooden sailing boat. So yeah, so you get the looks. I get the looks from the locals and I I scared a fisherman the other day who was on a pontoon fishing and I I sailed up behind to get onto the pontoon and because we don't have a motor, like he couldn't hear us (laughs) and turned around and nearly fell off into the water. But yeah, so (laughs) it's that, it's that unusual here. (laughs) Thanks very much, Emma. All right. Okay. Thank you. Like this podcast? Don't forget to rate, review and share with your friends.